hey, <clears throat> we're finishing. You know, on the church calendar, liturgical calendar, what it's called sometimes, um, I've said to you before that uh, I think it's important at times to, to I use that uh, in my own preaching and teaching when I was a pastor because I wanted people to have some sense of the flow of the Christian year or some flow of the activity of God throughout history. And this is about the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, you know. Uh, I was on May the 20th, and we kind of began this little study, and I'm trying to kind of wind it up or finish it up today. We'll, we'll see if that actually happens. Um, but uh, I, I've said to you that, that I think that one of the things that happens uh, is sometimes the reason that uh, the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about Pentecost here, the Holy Spirit isn't uh, referred to or taught a lot about or discussed uh, is maybe because of, uh, I say this as kindly as I can, because of Christian television. <laughs> Uh, sometimes we've seen some things or places that are in excess. Now, I'm not saying that everybody. I'm, I'm saying everybody. I'm just saying that, that, that some of us have at times seen what we might call excesses. And, uh, of course, I always said when I was a pastor, it, it's, it's a whole lot easier to put a bit in a runaway horse's mouth than raise one from the dead. So, you know, you can work with that. But I think it, it's, it's made some, you know, you get it? Yeah. Uh, some, some people are just dead spiritually. Uh, but... But in, in understanding that, that there's sometimes this uh, maybe hesitancy uh, to deal with this uh, subject of the Holy Spirit, which I think is tragic, uh, because I think there is, without a doubt, uh, the understanding that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the goal of God's activity. If you're interested in that, you can listen to some of the recordings earlier on the 20th of May, that the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in our life is the goal of God's activity. Or elsewise, Jesus would not have said to his disciples, now I've risen from the dead, now I've, uh, you know... Uh, gained access in terms of your, your salvation and forgiveness. Now wait. He wouldn't have said that. He just said, sick them. He'd say, go get them. So, so this is the kind of uh, motivation, at least, that I have to say, uh, let's not allow some of our concerns or some of our problems, perhaps, uh, with this subject to keep us away from discussing this really important fact and a person. Now, in, in, in all of that, I, I thought about this. You know, uh, anything you overemphasize, and on your handout, I've got some things we're just going to review here for a second. I think this is uh, called review. There we go, <clears throat> somewhere. No, that's not it. I've got some comments. I've been on vacation. Uh, <clears throat> a review here. <clears throat> um, this idea of, of review is overemphasis. Now, some of you may uh, relate to this or understand this, but... Uh, over the years, um, <clears throat> I uh, have exercised and been involved in different kind of things like that. And one of the things I know about exercise is that one of the reasons um, uh, I was able to start an exercise program years ago. Here's what happened. I, I met a girl. This is before I met Becky. Okay. <clears throat> I met a girl years ago who I was sort of interested in. And uh, she liked to, to jog and work out in the morning. So I decided I wanted to jog and exercise in the morning. Uh, so I met up with Denise, and I thought, we'll, we'll go run. Now, here's the problem. I hadn't run in years, and I'm running, and I cannot show any weakness, right? I'm a guy, right? <clears throat> and I want her to respect me and want to date me. It didn't work out, which is fine with me. Uh, <clears throat> but I remember after running, you know, going out there and, and inside going, this is killing me. And I'm going, you want to go a little further? You know, I, I'm a guy. And uh, so uh, I remember that what happened was after that, a couple of days, I couldn't walk. <laughs> and I tried to stay away from her <laughs> and avoid her. 
Now, now what happens is a lot of times when people start an exercise program, or, or for that matter of fact, almost anything, a diet, I think it's called overtraining, overtraining, doing too much. It's deciding I'm going to, you know, lose 12 pounds this week. Not likely. Uh, or I'm going to exercise every day and never give my muscles the opportunity to, to rebuild. They call it overtraining. I, I'd got a stress fracture in my, in my leg. That was my diagnosis. I didn't go to the doctor because they have needles. But um, um, had a stress fracture in my tibia because I wouldn't stop running. And uh, overtraining, I, I think about that is now in, in life when we try to do something, sometimes we do too much too quick. And so I remember when I first started exercising, somebody said to me, I've told you this, uh, anybody can run a mile. I got news for it. That's not true. <laughs> no, you can't. I ran six tenths of a mile, thought my lungs were going to spontaneously combust <laughs> right there. They were on fire. I knew that. I knew they were on fire. What I had to learn to do was to say, okay, how do you approach this issue? in a way that isn't overemphasized, exercise, dieting, whatever you want to. What about this matter about the spirit? Now, I've said to you, let me give you, two, here's the review. I, there's some more on your, your outline. Really, I think the Bible teaches us the Holy Spirit in four basic streams, if you will. Uh, one of them is, uh, it's, uh, the Holy Spirit is the presence within us. The presence within. And that's true. And uh, we understand that now uh, Jesus, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, now inhabits us as his temple. And that's an important distinction that Jesus said in John 14, I have been with you, but I will be in you. Not many days from now. The Holy Spirit. So this now where, where the problem comes in is when we overtrain or over emphasize this almost to the exclusion of the other, is that the overemphasis becomes mysticism to where people begin to evaluate truth and reality based on how they feel. Or they begin to base truth and reality on their impressions. How many of you have lived long enough to realize that your impressions may be the most inaccurate part of you besides me? Oh, man, I had something happen last week in Colorado, and I thought, never trust your impressions. No, that's not true, but, but be careful about that. I'm not saying that we should not remember and teach and declare that what takes the, if you will, God's presence from outside of us in the Old Testament, if you will, in the temple into our lives in the New Testament is the presence of the Spirit. But the overemphasis of that can lead to that. Now, the second thing, the, a presence to follow. This other stream as it relates to the Holy Spirit is you'll hear people talk about that if you're living by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh, that that you're living a holy life, maybe. That you're following the presence of God. It's true. It's true. That's an important thing. It's, a, it's an important reality that, that the Spirit lives within us, that presence now to lead us and guide us and to, to cause us to, to follow and obey Jesus. It's true. I grew up in a church, again, that emphasized this almost to the exclusion of everything else. And the overemphasis of this particular piece, in my judgment, is legalism. Because I sense the Lord lead me this way, you got to be led that way. Because I think this is the way to go, that's the way you got to go. And it creates legalism in churches and organizations and groups that everybody thinks they've got to be led the same way. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, that, that uh, you know, I was led to rob a bank. Uh, you know, that, that's pretty simple. That's not the spirit. But in some of these matters of spiritual life of, you know, I mean, everybody knows that you have to read your Bible 15 minutes in the early morning before you go to work, right? Are you sinned? How many heard that? I did. You know, it's a sin. 
I love what Dallas Willard says. The spiritual practices are not law. They're wisdom. <laughs> they're wisdom. It's how we understand and, and follow God. So that, you notice that legalism. So somebody decides that you have to pray 27 minutes a day or you'll go to hell. Somehow they figured that out. I don't know. But then they decide, okay, you've got to do that. And, and this, this can become a, a real problem. This third area, and it's true, we ended on this before we, I left two weeks ago, power for service. And I said that these two areas, the power for service, I think are in two areas. One is in being able to give a verbal witness. It's Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, after you receive power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be witnesses for me, both in Jerusalem and Judea. And so there's power now as we open our mouth and we give testimony and witness to God for, for Jesus Christ. The second one in the area of power for service has to do with uh, spiritual giftings where we're able to serve uh, in ministry. That's found in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, that spiritual gifts are given to enable us to, to serve and to be empowered and involved in ministry. And that's important. Uh, but the overemphasis of that, if we think that's it, in other words, I don't need to be concerned about God's presence in my life. I don't need to be concerned about God's presence for you to follow me. It's just, it's just service that, in my judgment, the overemphasis is activism. Where I, in some sense, evaluate my life by how productive I am. Meet people, I've been one of those people. <laughs> to where my sense of God's presence or the Spirit is directly related to how productive or how how much production happens because of activism. Now, somebody asked me a question two weeks ago, and I, I thought, um, thought it's okay to, to, to do this, <clears throat> that, that, you know, it doesn't mean that when we find out, and I, and I think there's a link on your handout, isn't there, uh, on a spiritual gift test. If you've never taken one of those, it's free. You don't have to give me any information or log in. Um, but it's just a way to sort of start tracking to say how might... Uh, how might uh, you be gifted and, and, and empowered by the Spirit uh, for, for service and how, how might you be involved? And so uh, uh, that's an important thing. But if it gets too important, then we begin, uh, we begin to uh, concentrate on what's there. Let me give you an example in, in my life uh, that where I was in this area. Um, uh, Becky and I, we were dating, uh, you know, and uh, after she required me to ask her to marry her, and uh, <laughs> there's some truth to that story. <laughs> uh, yeah, she got tired of waiting. Uh, I remember that um, when we were dating, this, you know, maybe too much information. When we were dating, we had a rule, one foot on the ground all the time. One foot on the ground all the time. No laying down. So I got to have a foot on the ground. Now, you could see me occasionally like this. I was like this, you know. <laughs> I had mastered a couple of, you know, look like a circus person. But, but we made that rule. And we just said, you know, we're, we're normal people, and we just don't want to move beyond some areas that we think would be wrong, and so we won't. So it was a good rule, you know, we, and we practiced it. And, and, I, and I remember one evening, for whatever reason, I just was so tired, whatever, I just laid down on the couch, and she came by and laid down beside Nothing happened, you know. Uh, I mean, when you, when you date the fourth person of the Trinity, you know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> is she in here? She's going to kill me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I see her now. Uh, on Father's Day. Uh, um, nothing happened. Nothing, I mean, nothing. But, I, you know, I felt uh, 
went, went back to my office, I went to my office, went back to the, our apartment. The next morning, uh, I was a, an associate pastor at our church serving in outreach and ministry. And, uh, and I remember that morning, I, I just, I didn't, I don't think it was the spirit of God making me feel bad. I just thought, Cliff, you got, you better be careful here. You know, th this, these things can get out of hand real fast. And you made a commitment here and you did this and you, you need to stick with this. And so I felt a little bad about it and thought, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it. Anyway, so go to church that day. And it was one of those banner days. Everybody showed up. Everybody was happy with me for once. Um, you know, uh, it was just a great day, just a great day. And I remember walking back to the church and by my car, and I heard this in my head. See, that didn't make any difference, did it? You can go ahead and do that. And I just stopped because I didn't have this language at this point, but I thought performance, see, that's the indicator that everything's okay. When in fact... It might or it might not be. We get too enamored with our activism or our activity. We can fall into this imbalance to we think that because we can do things or we're successful, that somehow that is an indication that the Spirit has control of us. Or the other side is, is, is even as, as bad, where we do our very best and we work hard and we fail. And then what? Well, God must not be pleased with me. See, see, this is a very dangerous area. God must not be pleased with me. I, I must have failed some. I must have sinned. I must have done something wrong. I, I can line people up by, by all, all kinds of numbers of people that wrestle with that every day because they fail to realize you're overemphasizing this matter about service, power for service. So we want to be balanced in this. We want to work. We want to understand, hey, it's a presence within. It's a presence to follow. It's power for service. And so I, I just, I want to review that on you. I just want to remind you, these things can get out of bounds. And I wonder if this is sometimes why we don't talk about the Holy Spirit more. We're worried about this. We, we get nervous about this. So I want, to, I want to work now on what I call the final, a daily plan. As I was thinking about this, I, I thought, um, um, you know, okay, Cliff, all this is good, but how does this work out? And what difference is this going to make in your life and in my life because we are emphasizing and, and studying uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting... So I want to talk to you here briefly, or maybe briefly, uh, about uh, this kind of daily plan. You know, after we become a Christian, um, or follow Jesus, or whatever kind of language you want to do with that, that we may come to an understanding of this matter that uh, we need more power, or we need more strength. I don't know... Uh, I read a book by a guy named Mario Murillo, who's a great guy. Uh, and he, he made the statement that, that after sometimes a person becomes a Christian, the euphoria and the joy and the excitement of all of that is, he said, it kind of reminds him of that old movie long time ago called Honey, I Shrunk the Devil. You know, <laughs> you know all of a sudden now you can do anything. You're anywhere. Anybody had that experience besides me? You know, after you f first become a follower of Jesus, it's like, my goodness, uh, you know, this is uh, unbelievable. You know, what's interesting um, is that, um, th and that's all true, and, and I think especially if we come to Jesus after a period of struggle or where we've gone through some rigorous assessment to say, do I really want to do this? Is this really true? <clears throat> that, that, that euphoria sometimes will wear off, and then, and then where do we go now? 
Did you know this? This is an interesting fact. Did you know that more people are killed in mountain climbing coming down than going up? Do you know that? It's a fact. More people die in mountaineering accidents coming down than going up. Now, there are lots of different reasons. Fatigue might be one of them. Uh, But some writers say that the euphoria or the excitement or the joy of actually summiting the mountain causes them to sort of lose contact with, okay, what does it mean now i got to come down this thing? So what kind of, if you will, daily plan do we need to meet? Here we go. We're going to talk about this, number one, the normal Christian life. Life in the Spirit is the normal Christian life. Now, Irma Bombeck is famous for saying that normal is only a setting on a washer. But, uh, <clears throat> and I have some agreement with that, <clears throat> uh, that uh, when you start trying to define normal. But, but there is some thinking that, that this idea of life in the Spirit or life in the Holy Spirit is for missionaries and for pastors and preachers, but not for people who work at a cast-and-die machine all day or not somebody that, that uh, takes in uh, reports for a company. But I want to suggest to you something. So I want you to ask you to turn your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Acts some today. Turn your Bible to the table of contents. Find the book of Acts. We're going to Acts 18. Acts, my Bible 1035, that's the page number. Acts 18. And this has always been a fascinating um, story, or if you will, uh, uh, example here. Uh, I'm going to have to read a little bit here, so follow along. It's in Acts 18, and it's going to begin at verse 24, because we've got to set up the context here. <clears throat> the context here. Uh, now, this is uh, recounting the, the, uh, the, the uh, journeys of Paul after he's come out of Galatia in verse 28, 18, 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the Scriptures. Now, notice this right here. He, he understands the Scriptures. He, he's mighty in the Scriptures. This is a man who had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And was fervent in spirit. That's a little S there, a little S, his spirit, we, the human spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately of the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. You might want to underline that. That's a really important statement right there. That, that this Apollos is eloquent, he understands the scriptures, but he's only acquainted with the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, now if you go back in chapter 18, these are two people that Paul met and discipled. Earlier in chapter 18, these are two people, Priscilla and Aquila, that Paul discipled and trained. So when Paul leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, they hear Apollos. And they took him aside and explained to him the, Lord, the way of the Lord more accurately. Mighty in the scriptures, eloquent, teaching the things of Jesus. But these two people listen to him and say, you don't have it right here. They take him the way away. And when he had wanted to cross to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he'd arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scripture that Jesus was the Christ. Now, where's this happening? Ephesus. Who is this guy? Apollos. He's a, he's a follower of Jesus, only acquainted with the baptism of John. Verse nine, chapter 19, verse 1. It happened 
that while Apollos was in Corinth, that he's left Ephesus, Paul passed to the upper country and came to Ephesus. That's where Apollos had been and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, in what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Now notice this. What, what I think is going on here is this. These are people who had been taught by Apollos. Previous to Priscilla and Aquila coming to town. This is why Priscilla and Aquila pull him off to the side and deal with him. And help him. And then send him over across to Achaia. So when Paul comes to Ephesus, here he finds people who are, notice here, disciples, that word there in verse 1, and something happens here, something he notices, something they say, we don't know. It just says that he asked this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their answer is what? Yeah, we, we, that's fascinating from this standpoint. John's baptism, if you read in the Gospels, was a baptism for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Interesting? See, we tend to think that the only idea ever of forgiveness of sins was after Jesus. But John's message is the repentance of, or repentance to the forgiveness of sins. And then he said, but there's somebody coming after me whose sandals I'm unworthy to tie who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is confusing to me or a little bit from this standpoint. If they're familiar with John's baptism, it must mean that, they, he, that Priscilla and Aquila earlier, or I'm sorry, uh, Apollos earlier, had not spoken to them about the coming of the Holy Spirit, only referred to them of the baptism of the repentance of sins, or repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Paul sees something. Here's something. They, I don't know. that We don't know. It just says, he meets some of these disciples. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we haven't we even heard of this. And he said, into what were you baptized? He said, into John. Paul said, John baptized with the repentance, or baptism of repentance, telling people to believe who was coming, and that is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's some error here in just going into John's baptism. He baptizes them, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Interesting, huh? The word there in verse uh, uh, 2. Uh, now, different translations have it there. When it says, that, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I think King James, I'm not sure, I didn't check it exactly, but it says since. Does anybody have that, that since you believed? Okay, this, this one word right here. This one word has divided um, churches and denominations. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an aorist verb, uh, an aorist participle. Uh, and one group that sees the word since, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed, are some of the holy traditions that say that you get Jesus at salvation and later you receive the Holy Spirit. Anybody heard that? That group, I, I've been part of a couple of those groups. That, that is the idea that, you know, when you get saved, you get Jesus. And then when you come to some experience later, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's called the second work of grace or the, 
I'm at 876 works of grace right now, <laughs> you know, but it's called, and, I, and I, it's just part of a tradition. I'm not, you know, it's okay. But the second work of grace, that there, there's a great emphasis on that word. I, my judgment is, in my exegetical work, is it does not mean since, it means when. When. The assumption here, again, I'm saying it's, it's the normal Christian life. Now, I could show you in Titus where it says that when you were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, when Jesus said, unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The Spirit has to be present in anybody becoming a Christian. This is not some Cadillac. You know, I'm an old guy, so Cadillacs used to be big deals. It would be Lexus now. You know, This is not the Cadillac version of Christianity. This is not, again, for pastors and for missionaries. Paul says, well, look, when, when you believe, did you receive now, Paul knows something here to indicate, in my judgment, that this is the normal Christian life that they didn't know anything about. Now, let me draw a couple of conclusions, or ideas here. I did read some of the questions. Some of y'all gave some questions on a Socrative last time, and I'm trying to work through them. A couple of things have come up, and one of them is, do we have the Holy Spirit with us when we become a follower of Jesus? Yes, <laughs> You wouldn't be a follower of Jesus. You wouldn't be regenerated, Titus 2. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be born of the Spirit and of water in John 3 if you weren't. I'll look, we'll look at another verse in, in Romans 8. But, but there are two things that keep coming. Like, are, Does everybody have the Holy Spirit that's a follower of Jesus? D does everyone? Or The other one is about tongues. Now let me, because this is right here, let me, let me ask you to consider something. In the book of Acts, the, the, the experience of tongues only occurs three times. Two, and then an eight in Samaria, but they're Jews. You know, they're just half-Jews. Two, eight, which are, like I say, the Jew, half-Jew group. Ten, well, Cornelius, that's the Roman soldier. And 19, Ephesus. That, that's the only three times. Now, there are more people that become followers of Jesus than, than that. There are people who become followers of his, you know, and Philippi and, and uh, you know, uh, all over the place. So the question is always raised, well, what does this tell us? I want to suggest something to you. Just You don't have to believe it. Thoughts and opinions of this teacher are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church, it's elders or leadership. Here's, here's my read. <clears throat> because it's clear, I think, in 1 Corinthians 12, that not everyone has the gift of tongues. That's what it says. You can go read it toward the end. Not everybody. Not everybody. It's clear to me, at least. So why here? I want to suggest that here's a possibility. In chapter 2 and 8, this represents the Spirit of God coming to the Jewish people. In chapter 10, this recurrence of the coming of the Spirit with tongues and prophecy is now seen to be have come and brought to the Roman culture. Centurion, Cornelius. And the third example here in 19, where it occurs in Ephesus, this is the bestowing of the Spirit in the Greek culture. Now, I just want to say to you in the ancient world, those are all the three major cultures known to the world. Jewish, Roman, and Greek. What is God trying to do? I want to tell you, this experience of the Spirit is available to everyone. Now, now, again, I just want to say, 
some might argue and say, well, then that must mean tongues is for... I'm not saying that. I'm saying, because it's clear, Paul clarifies that in 1 Corinthians 12, that tongues is not for everyone. It's not a gift for everyone. In fact, he even says, hey, you should seek the greater way, the more excellent way, and that's where he drops right into 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of faith and so able to move mountains and have not love... It profits me nothing. If I have the gift of knowledge and understand all mysteries. See, these are gifts. This is over, overdoing it. If I have the gift of knowledge and understand all mysteries, and have not love, it's nothing. If I give my body to be burned, if it isn't because of love, it doesn't matter. So, so I think God is saying, look, it, this is available to everyone. Now, think about this. We don't maybe we don't live with this awareness. My dad died in 2013 of pancreatic cancer, <clears throat> and uh, my, my dad was a guy that he, he was pretty uh, uh, controlling about finances. I think part of it was he grew up in the Depression. Uh, you know, uh, my kids at the school think the Depression is Xanax, but, you know, they, they don't. Yeah. When, when we say FDR ended the Depression, did he, did he invent Xanax? I'm not trying to make fun of Depression. I'm trying to make fun of those kids that they have no historical understanding. But my dad was a fairly controller guy with the finances. Um, one is, again, he grew up in the Depression, real poverty. Uh, and then he was a pastor, didn't have a lot of money. And so uh, when he, as he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, he really began to have to kind of turn some things over to my mom financially, which she was freaking out. And so I, I've worked with her. I still have her bank account and, and help her with all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so, so my dad, you know, he did the best he could and had retirement, something like that. But my mom has had a continual fear for all the years my dad's been gone that she's not going to have enough money to take care of herself uh, in, in, in her old age. She's 85 now, uh, getting much less mobile. Uh, you know, uh, uh, when, when we go visit her now, you know, we, we get up early and have breakfast and then we go in the house at 11 and watch westerns all day <laughs> the same ones I'm, I'm lip syncing the dialogue <clears throat> she's getting older she doesn't want to get out you know she she thinks chuck norris is the greatest person in the world you know, which hurts a little bit still <laughs> but but she's really been worried and concerned. And so I did a little research and a little study. And uh, come to find out, because my dad was a, a veteran of the Korean War, uh, come to find out there's a little-known benefit. It's called aid and attendance. It's for anybody that served one day, I'll read it to you, one day in the military during a declared war and at least 90 days in the military. You can be in boot camp for one day, serve for 90 days during a war. And they've, they're all listed. <clears throat> they've listed them all. Here they are, the Mexican border war, World War I, World War II, Korean conflict, Vietnam era, my, my family's uh, uh, family reunion in 2007, the Gulf War. <clears throat> that was a war. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, family reunion 2007 should be right here on this list. <clears throat> Here's, here's what's interesting. 
there are millions and millions of dollars that the VA never doles out because people don't know about it. Here's what it is. <clears throat> they will pay my mother's care when she has to go into assisted living. I've talked to a guy here in town who works with the VA and just said to my mom, Mom, listen, our dad, by serving, not only worked to save a retirement fund, his service means you're cared for. It's called aid and attendant. Now, I know a couple of people have used it here. Uh, it's an unbelievable... Now, I mean, you know, if you've got $400,000 in the bank, you're not going to get it. Uh, but it's an unbelievable benefit. And as I read up on it, really, nobody knows about it. Did you know about it? Anybody know about it? Aid and attendance. <laughs> Have a finder's fee associated with that. No. <laughs> Aid and attendance. Now, now listen, the government has it on their websites. They have all this kind of thing. And there's millions and millions and millions and millions. Of, and who knows how many people are struggling to be able to pay for that that can't when it's right there. That's what Paul said. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, we, we, we didn't know about that. Really. You know, your knowledge and my knowledge can sometimes be the barrier. We've got it all fixed up in our head. This is not for me. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not a Christian enough. I, 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 I don't do enough for God. And he's saying, look, this, if you believe, this is for you. The presence of the Spirit is for you. If you believe. Don't be like millions of people, perhaps, who are struggling financially and going through all kinds of problems because they don't know there's a benefit that's available to them that was paid for. Sound familiar? It's interesting here. Did you receive the... You bet you did when you believed in... Here, see, here's the problem. Look at these guys. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. What does Paul do? He didn't say, well, you must be stupid. He says, wait a minute. You don't know the whole story. He teaches them and then does what? Baptizes them in the name of Jesus. What happens? Holy Spirit, were you baptized in the name of Jesus? Now, again, people get hung up on this. Listen i got too many ideas in my head right now. <clears throat> Baptism in the name of Jesus in the book of Acts is not just Jesus, but Jesus is the issue in, in Acts. So if you baptize in the name of Jesus, you're baptizing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's the issue. He's the one you got to believe in. These people already believe in God. They already believe in some understanding of Him. Let me show you another verse. So go to, go to Romans chapter 8. Go right in Acts. Paul is, we, we worked through this, so you already you got some knowledge of it, but here it is. This, I'm trying to work at this idea. It's the normal Christian life, life in the Spirit. And so Paul is saying some things about, you know, we've, we've been freed from the law of sin and death, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And he says this, verse 9, However, you're not in the flesh, meaning you're not living your life by Adam's strength. You're not living your life by human strength. You're not living your life by human power. You're not in the spirit, but in you're not you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. You, 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 a person's not a Christian 
if they don't have the Spirit of Christ. If the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, these are used interchangeably. So, so what I want to say is, this is the normal Christian life. That I sometimes wonder if we're sort of like people that don't know the benefit that they have. It, it doesn't mean God's holding out on us. It doesn't mean that God is trying to play games with us. It means that we have to exercise personal faith and belief. That I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That when I put my trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God came and made me alive. That's why I, my dad used to always would say often, he said, Cliff, when I became a Christian, he said the things I used to hate, I started loving. Anybody have that experience? Yeah. yeah. And some of the things that you used to love, you hate. Why? Because you've been born again by the Spirit. And so this is a normal life. Now, let me, let me hurry, sort of. <clears throat> Thir- two, <clears throat> yeah, sort of. It's a continual life. I've always been fascinated uh, with uh, the word spirit in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Uh, it's, the, it's the term ruach, and it's translated spirit, wind, or breath. The same word pneuma is translated spirit, wind, or breath. Isn't it interesting that when we refer to the spirit, pneuma, we're referring to this one that is understood as our breath. You know, this idea of a continual life, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ used to have a little tract on the Christian life and it called it spiritual breathing. You ever see that? Anybody ever see that one? Spiritual breathing. Or the idea was <clears throat> that part of spiritual breathing is sometimes that I, <clears throat> uh, you know, push out or confess out a sin I've committed. And then I breathe back in God's forgiveness and love and power for my life. Isn't it an apt kind of idea that that spiritual living is breathing? Take a deep breath and hold it. Till Thursday. (laughs) Think about it. Breathing. Breathe in. Breathe out. I was in a situation the other day, a medical situation, and, and, you know, I'm a little nervous and a little uptight. Again, are there needles anywhere? Uh, any kind of doctoral kind of stuff like that, you know. Um, uh, and I'm a little nervous. And, and the person says to me, Cliff, breathe deeply. What was I doing? Nervous, anxious. You know, not breathing right. Anxious, nervous, worried. Sometimes in our own physical lives, we, we start breathing shallowly. We're, we're nervous, we're anxious, we don't feel well. That, that the scripture teaches us here, or we're going to see there in a second, that, that this idea of breathing is what the spirit is. It, it's a continual thing. I, I'm concerned from the standpoint of this, that I hear what I think, that this is Cliff's idea. Well, it's probably I stole it somewhere, but I'll take it. But this idea of that so much of Christian experience or life is what I call transactional. Prayed the prayer got baptized in. One guy wrote it like this, that that instead of this continual life of breathing and living with God, it's kind of like we, we, it's just a transaction. In fact, you talk to people, what did you make a parish on, you know, August the 22nd, 1959? Okay. How about today? What's going on today? 
Are you living in the life of the Spirit? Of bre- not saying it's wrong to not know. I'm saying it becomes transactional. To where I just made the prayer, signed the card, dunked in the water, I'm out, just waiting to go to heaven now. Right? One guy said like this, that when we teach people that or train people that way, it's sort of like they start the race at the finish line. <laughs> like there's no life here. The breathing. So, so look here, if you will, at Ephesians. Go to your table of contents. We're in Romans, or you could go to the right for a while until you find it. Ephesians 11.14. Ephesians chapter 5, a very familiar passage, but it comes to this point. <clears throat> five. <clears throat> I'm going to start at 15. Chapter 5. I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, chapter, fi- chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men and women, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, but for that's dissipation. By the way, you know, dissipation means to disperse. Makes you a dispersed person, not an integral person. But be filled with the Spirit. Now, someone suggests, what does being filled with the Spirit mean? Look at it right here. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart in the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even God the Father, and be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Maybe that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Look at that. I mean, it appears to be those those, uh, coordinate clauses there. To be, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spirits, singing, making, giving thanks, being thankful. Maybe that's what the Spirit-filled life looks like. Why don't we try that? Why don't we decide to quit making it weird or strange or funny or, 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 or bizarre? And, and let's just say, hey, what, what if we decide this is what it looks like? Paul is saying this is what it looks like to live Spirit-filled. Not a bunch of feelings, but how we interact. Now back up at 18. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And as you know, and you probably already know this, it means be, being, continually filled. It's not a one-time thing. It's a constant. It's a, what we call a dirty present participle. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep being. You know what that is? Keep breathing. Keep Breathing. Keep breathing. This isn't a one-time shot. It isn't a one-time thing. It's this life. Now, when I read the word filled there, it, it at least creates in me some question like that. And, and let me say this on the side. This, if you read the New Testament, especially the epistles, you'll, you know the church has got trouble, right? They got problems. You know, I mean, you, you just look at Corinth and say, Whoa, that, well, I don't want to go to that church. Or Ephesus. There's all kinds of problems. Do you know what Paul never says in any of those letters or any of the epistles? Well, what you need is the Spirit. You know what he says? You need to be filled. You need to allow that fullness to come out. You need to walk. Never does he say, well, your problem is you're not a Christian and, and you don't have the Holy Spirit. Go look at that. It's always be filled, be being filled, keep being filled, keep being filled. 
Keep walking. It's not a one-time thing. I've come to the opinion, this is just my opinion. I think that if we're not careful, you know, one of the features of addiction, addictions are always things that we do to try to medicate the pain in life, whatever it is. It can be alcohol, it can be drugs, it can be shopping, it can be eating, it can be buying stuff, whatever it is, to try to stop the pain, right? That's the classic understanding of it. I want to venture to say this, and don't press me too hard. But I think sometimes we want the Spirit to come into our life to take all the problems away. And there are people that will tell you that that's what's going to happen. It's an addiction. You got problems? I got problems. What if God's answer is not, okay, Cliff, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit, and I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to help you breathe your way through this. Isn't that what we want? We want to be fixed. We want it to go away. We want it to stop. And if we've decided we're not going to use drugs and alcohol and shopping and buying or whatever you, you, you do, we'll use religion. Is that possible? Let me tell you why I think that. I grew up enough around the church to know there are people that keep running after Religious experience after religious experience after religious experience after religious experience, hoping somebody can lay their hands on them, talk to them, pray over them, do something to fix it. It's not going to happen. What happens is we are being filled. Be. Now, why is it we're not filled? Why do you think? I'm getting ready to crash this lesson, so we're going to stop. So... Because we're already filled up with enough. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. I'm going to tell you, if you want to know your need of the Spirit, I dare you to do this. Get involved with real people who have real problems. And you'll find out your need for the Spirit. I dare you. Get involved with real people. They're probably in your family. With with real problems. They're probably in your family. And you'll determine, hey, I don't have the horsepower for this. Sometimes we find that out when we get a serious illness diagnosis. I don't have the horsepower to get through this. Or sometimes if we lose a job or we have financial disaster. Suddenly now, we're not so filled up with all this stuff. I've just said before, my life, and I'm 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 not mad at you. My life is I'm working so often to control everything and keep things nailed down. I don't need God. I just don't need Him. Anybody confess that with me? I don't need Him. See, we are filled with the Spirit when we come to the awareness. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to go sell your house and, you know, or you want to give it to me, you can. But uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't have nice things or go on vacation or enjoy the. It means this that we've got to be alert to this breathing thing. What am I being filled with? Am I supremely confident in my abilities, in my retirement, in the things that I've got, in the relationships I've been able to manage, 
Or am I being filled? God, I need your spirit each and every day. It's be, being filled. Now, I want to say one other thing about this verb. It's a passive verb. Now, Luann would help us here for a second, but others. But let me, let me just say this. Passive verbs in English or in Greek means you're being acted on. I'm throwing the ball. That's the active voice. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, let me get here. I'm throwing this for myself. That's the middle voice. I am being thrown. <laughs> That's the passive voice. I'm being thrown. This is that you're being filled. This is you're not doing this. This is God. What's he asking for? Open yourself up. Quit being so filled with yourself, Cliff. Quit thinking you can do this on your own. Open yourself up. I'm the one who does the filling. You don't have to do the filling. You don't have to beg me for it. You don't have to cry about it and yelp about it. Just open up. I can fill you if you'll quit being full of yourself. It's fascinating. One more thing, and then I'll let you go. See, I've been on vacation too long. Go back to Acts 4. This is fascinating. This is, again, this idea of continual life, okay? Go back to Acts 4 real quick. <clears throat> real quick. I'm going to buzz it up. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is there and fills all those people in uh, Jerusalem. Fills them. They, they do great, great things. <clears throat> in Acts 4, they get in trouble. They get in trouble. And so the Jews call them in. Tell them, you better shut up. You better stop this. They say, hey, we can't stop seeing what we've heard and seen. Okay, so do with us what you will. So they, you know, uh, you can do whatever you want to. And so they finally released them. And when they heard this, they verse 23 of chapter 4, the, the authorities released them. And they go back. It says here, watch this. This is important. Um, and if I can find it. Verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their own companions. Now, this is Peter and John and Paul. Peter and John and James. They went back to their own command. These are the people they were with on the day of Pentecost. This is maybe a day later, two days later. So they go back to those same people, same companions. This is not a new group. You read on down there and they begin to pray. The Lord that you would, verse 29, take note of their threat and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence and we'll extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders and take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought they had been. They had been. What's this? Filled again. Same group. Same people. What? Filled again. This is not a one-time thing. Same group. Same people. So what's the payoff here, Cliff? What's the, and we'll finish this someday. <clears throat> it comes to this. I think this, again, this comes back to fullness. It still is your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. When you and I got it all buttoned up, you and I have to be honest say, I don't need God. I don't need God in this. I don't need him. Sometimes we have to just say that and be honest with him. Help me to know how. To be open to you. To need you. Again, I, I, I've said before, I will get involved with real people, have real problems, and watch what happens. He'd be saying this all the time. This is another interesting thought I had, and I want to just say this. The Holy Spirit is the breath we breathe 
to live the life he brought. The Holy Spirit is the breath we breathe daily to live the life he brought. So I ask you to consider something this week. Application. I didn't write it down on your sheet. Just going to ask you to consider on a... When you do something that you do every day, like brush your teeth, or some of you look like you might comb your hair once in a while, but, you know, <laughs> let's stay with brushing teeth. <laughs> think of something right now you do every day. Every day. Okay, just think of it. Something you do. Whatever it is. You, I mean, it's just like clockwork. You do it every day. Something that's meaningful to you. I'm not going to tell you. you. You think about it right now. What is it that you do every day? It's a routine. It's a habit. It's a thing. You know, what, whatever. Identify it. And I want you to connect that activity for this week. That one activity. Think what it is. Think what it is. And as you do it, that you come back to, again, the awareness that today, at this moment, at this time, at this activity, I want to come back to the truth that I need to be filled with the Spirit today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. Whatever that activity is for you, that that will connect it to say, I need to be alert today, right now. Lord Jesus, I need to be filled. I'm opening my life up to you. Fill me as maybe... Maybe for right now, you're, you've only got this much he can fill. you got your life pretty well nailed down. Maybe that's all he can do. That's okay. Just whatever he can do that day. And as you begin to progress and grow, then say to God, God, you can, you can increase my capacity. How? By helping me understand my inadequacy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, the drama of my life and many of our lives is that that we've got our lives pretty well nailed down. That's, that's the real drama <clears throat> that we're in. <clears throat> that's why <clears throat> when the doctor does tell us, okay, this is bad, it, it rattles us. Or <clears throat> if our job changes because we've <clears throat> got everything nailed down, help us as we identify that thing that we do every day to remind us again of the great gift and privilege we have of being filled by you with your spirit. However you do that, however that works, I'm not sure. I don't, for everybody, it may be different. But help us and guide us for Jesus' sake, for our own life. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen.